This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. River Drive Cooperage sources unique barrels from around the world. Working with select suppliers and their own cooperage, they ensure quality, consistency, and control over your barrel program. Custom Oak Alternatives, Barrel Aging Consulting, and Cooperage Education are just a few more one-of-a-kind services they're proud to provide. River Drive Cooperage, not just a barrel company. Browse their online warehouse at BarrelsDirect.com and use the coupon code PODCAST10, that's PODCAST with a number 10, to get 10% off your next order. Hi, everybody. It's John Hall, the senior editor of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. I'm in a hotel lobby in our nation's capital because it is Saver Weekend, which is the Brewers Association's pairing dinner uh, extravaganza where they bring brewers from around the world and they pair, uh, or from around the country, I should say. Um, I'm sure people come from around the world, but brewers from around the country come to D.C. to showcase their beers alongside some really great food. And it talks about uh, the wonders of pairing a good beer with, with some good food. And a guy who knows a lot about good beer, at least, and I'm sure you know a little bit about good food, I uh, know a lot of it. <laughs> is Patrick Rue. He is the founder and now the CEO of The Brewer of Offshoot Beer Company and of Brewery Tarot. Am yeah. I, is that the right way of saying it? I always get tripped up on the... Yeah, well, everything has Rue. Uh, pretty much every, uh, almost anything we do has Rue in the name. So, Tarot. Okay. Tarot so, sounds way better, though. Is it... Uh, sounds classy. Uh, uh, Offshoot? Is that how you guys do it? Is that... Oh, uh... Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I haven't gone... You can't say everything you do, and then... Yeah, we almost named uh, Rue the Day. Did you feel... Yeah, like, no, it's too much. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the next morning after a couple of double IPAs. I exactly. had one of yours last night, a triple dry hopped double IPA that you guys did a collaboration oh, with. Um, Virgin? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Called So Good. Not sure why we named it that. The, the morning was difficult uh, because <laughs> Sorry about of that. that. Um, Patrick, as you well know, is a, is a master of barrel aged beers. He's also a master Cicerone. And I, I want to start there because you were an early adopter of Cicerone. And I read an interview. Uh, you were one of the first masters. You were master Cicerone. You were like eight or nine, yeah. depending on. Yeah. Okay. James well, might say eight. Like you and James want from uh, We were from both Brewdog. at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And the press release was interestingly worded where it was numbers eight and nine. And it was, well, which, which one is which? And it's right. sort of, you know, Ray lets you figure it out and, and duke it out. Yeah. Well, my certificate has eight on it. Oh, well, yeah. there it is. Yeah. All right. So I'm not, well, I think he scored higher than me, but, uh, <laughs> but they gave me the eight anyway. I don't know why. Maybe R becomes R becomes before W. So maybe it's a alphabetical order. But you know. said you wanted to take the exam because you wanted to excel at something exam based that you were passionate about. And yeah. I, I, I want to get into that because originally you were in law school and you've graduated from law school. Yeah. Uh, did you take the bar? I did take the bar, yeah. Okay. yeah and you passed I, the bar, so you're... No, no, no? thankfully uh, I, I did not pass. Really? Yeah. And so you were one and done with it? Yeah, my mom really wanted me to try that one again, but there's no way. So is that where Cicerone then came in, where you wanted to have some sort of accomplishment then? Or I, I, yeah. I, 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 unpack that quote for me, where you wanted to have an exam-based certification. Yeah, well, I've always been a, a pretty mediocre student. Uh, a large part of that is because I didn't really care about what I was studying. Um, so 
I wanted to challenge myself that if I really, you know, um, did something that's knowledge-based, you know, very objective uh, exam, um, can I can I achieve the highest level uh, even though I suck at, you know, taking exams and studying in general? How, um, how long was it when you took the exam from when you had first started homebrewing? Uh, let's see, I first started homebrewing in 2003, and I passed the exam in... I think it was 2014. Okay, so you so had some some years. miles under your belt uh, at that at that point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. What was it about studying for Master Cicerone? Because I know that there are folks who are taking it right now. Uh, it, it is one of those those holy grails for a lot of folks. It's that brass ring that 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 they want to grab. Um, I, in that same interview, you said you're not sure if that you, you'd do it again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, does that is that still true? And now that you're removed from it. Uh, even further, would you would you try to level up even more now that there's the new fancier one? Or there's the there's the middle one, I guess, right? Or, or right, there, the advanced. Yeah. But is there is there a level up now from you guys? There isn't now. Oh, so but that would be really interesting if they did. Would you like study, the grandmaster? Would Would you study for that? <laughs> would you try to achieve that? Yeah, I probably would. Probably would. I, I learned a lot while I was studying, even though I'm around beer every day and uh, you know around different parts of it. It really uh, forces you to study. Beer, you know, the cultural significance of beer, the scientific, you know, pretty much everything that goes into making beer, serving beer. Um, it just looks at every every angle and um, something that most people in the beer industry only handle one, you know, one part. How is that? Because that's the interesting thing, right? I, I think people get into beer making like, oh, I'm just going to make beer. How has your breweries changed since taking that certification, since uh, taking that test in, in the way that you've approached the business? Yeah. Um, well, I've always, I've always really respected style, even though we don't make beers that are stylistic. I feel like you I need gonna, to... I was going to say, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. You need to know the st- what the styles are before you can even attempt to not break them, but, you know, skirt around them. Like I'm, I'm drinking a Vienna lager right now. Um, if I didn't know styles, I'd be like, you know, one day I want to make like an amber lager, and you know, it's it's one there's a little, you know, a little bit of a bready hint to it, um, and I'm gonna invent it, and then <laughs> like, and then oh. you discover like, oh, it, this is a style. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You bring up an interesting point, and I was gonna get to this at some point, but um, you do a lot of beers and have been doing them for a while that would classify in modern parlance of pastry stout or uh you yeah. know these adjuncty stouts these these flavored uh you know concoctions and i think that and and i'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because a lot of folks who maybe i'm painting with too broad a brush there are breweries that make those types of beers who have never made an actual stout or haven't made a porter or mm. don't know the difference between a dry Irish stout and a foreign extra stout or, you know, a, a proper you know, North uh, English porter, South English porter. Uh, you know, yeah. they, they don't know the difference. They're just saying, well, I'm making a dark roasty beer and now I'm going to throw a, a, a ton of shit in it. Right. How important was it for you in those early days to at least have the understanding of base styles that you could build off of? Yeah, yeah, I think it's really important. It, um, I guess, it makes you realize that a lot of progress has happened in beer before you got into it, and that you're not <laughs> in the whole grand scheme of things. You're a, a little dot on the map uh, in, in the world of beer, and um, when you can take something delicious that somebody else has made and just put your own touch on it, you know, uh, for the sake of either constant improvement or just constant innovation, and hopefully some improvement along the way. Um, it, yeah, I think it's just really important to know 
how the beer, how that beer style came to be and um, how you can put your own spin on it, but also be respectful to the style. Did you fool around with base styles when you first started off? Do you remember what your first homebrew recipe was? Yeah, yeah. It was a uh, clone of Mirapon Porter. Okay. Or Mirapon Pale Ale, excuse yeah. me. <laughs> Had too many beers yeah, last right? night. Um, and, which, you know, is a delicious beer, Cascade focused. Um, so I used, uh, I wanted it to be more caramely because I, I thought, you know, caramel is delicious. So I put a bunch of uh, crystal malt into it, uh, which did not make the beer uh, better. Um, and then <laughs> used a lot of Cascade. I fermented it for about three days and it seemed like it was, you know, slowing down. So I put it into a keg and rolled it across my garage floor uh, to carbonate it. Uh, about three hours later, my brother and I were drinking this um, chunky amber ale that wow. it was nothing like Mirapond, but but not, not seriously bad. So hold on, your very first homebrew batch, you were already coloring outside of the lines. Yeah, yeah, that was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did that teach you? Um, that simplicity is uh, sometimes the best answer. Um, yeah, you can. We've we've made a lot of beers that are just extremely simple. That can be, you know, some of the most amazing. I don't think of your beers as simple, though. No, no, they aren't. Well, we make a lot of different beers. So some of them sure. have a, you know, might be a very simple base small, but um, a very, you know, complex way of dry hopping or a complex fermentation with, you know, uh, Britannomyces and bacteria. Um, so we try not to make it simple on ourselves, but sometimes it's nice to have one element that's, uh, that's simple to it. Is it frustrating, though, when you're saying that you're making a whole bunch of different beers, and obviously you, you, you are, but the ones that get the fans excited, the ones that get uh, the lines out the door or people uh, hiring mules to, to go stand in line or to, who, who sign up for, uh, for your bottle club uh, and, and, and everything in between, it's always the, the super rare, the super exotic, the super... Uh, it's got to be great on some level, because, and on many levels, I imagine, because one, your brewery is successful because of it, and it's known around the world because of it. Do you ever wish now and again people would give you the same sort of love for for a pale ale, for just a, a stout? And, and, yeah. and could, could the brewery succeed with just those beers, with just like Why? a plain style? Yeah, it's a really good question. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I think, I think volume-wise, we could um, certainly produce, you know, more simplistic, style-appropriate beers, and be successful um, on a volume basis. But I think um, trying to fit that into everything else that we do, uh, that people always expect, they expect to be surprised from us, and that would surprise them in not that good of a way. And there's a lot of a lot of breweries making really cool, you know, two style beers, and yeah, let them do it. If you guys were to open today, do you think you'd have the same focus that you do? Because there are so many people making flavored stouts and barrel aged beers and messing around with sours and Britannomyces and fruits. And yeah. uh, were you guys a lucky product of your time who also made great beer? Or yeah. I don't know, have you thought about if you were to open in mid 2018 if could but, uh, you even open in mid-2018? Yeah. No, I, I wouldn't have done what we were doing. Uh, or um, I don't know. I, I feel the need to uh, always be different than the, the rest of the crowd. And 
I think we were different when we started, and now we're uh, there's more and more breweries doing things that are similar to us, so we're not as unique as we once were. We're always looking for ways to uh, to make make ourselves unique, but um, I don't know, like. Uh, the idea of like having a brewery where you just make like one check lager, you know, sounds pretty, <laughs> sounds pretty appealing right now. <laughs> that would be different. <laughs> you could but, call uh, Lars Larson's up at, uh, up at Trumer. I know. Just, uh, go intern for him. Or Definitely. Just do, a, yeah. do, just do a check pills all day long. That'd be yeah. great. Have a brewer work there. And yeah, uh, certainly that approach is, um, is pretty amazing. Well, you've launched other beer projects based on uh, of other breweries based off of the original one i mean yeah. what's to say what's to stop you from doing something like that down the road um i don't know confusing people by having too many brands <laughs> so it, it keeps me from doing that all right so when you're talking to folks and you're saying okay i have three breweries uh with three different names how, how do you put them into each bucket like how do you describe each of the three I usually just tell people I'm from the brewery and leave it at that. But um, yeah, and when then I they say which one, say if I'm giving, oh no, it's my family name, and then yeah, it's, right, yeah. totally. Um. <laughs> Does that conversation get old? Like when people say when you say you're from the brewery and people say which one, which one yeah. um, hasn't happened in a while. Really? People people are getting it now, okay. which is nice. It's weird. Um, I don't get out much, so this is this is yeah. like the most human interaction that I have uh, <laughs> during my week most of the time. So yeah, <laughs> that's when, when yeah when I take people around the brewery. Um, I explain, you know, we have Brewery Taru a few miles away where we make all of our sour and funky beers. You know, everything everything we do is made on one brew house. And then they ask, you know, where's Offshoot made? I'm like, oh, right here. So uh, while having three different brands makes us seem like we have three different locations, we really just have two locations, uh, if that makes sense. Um, so Offshoot, though, specializes in mainly hoppy beers, Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not wrong on that, right? It's yeah, I've done mostly hazy IPAs and double IPAs at this point. With a few West Coast IPAs and some lagers as well, or hoppier lagers. Where did that idea come from? Was that born out of necessity? Was offshoot a shit? Like, if we need to, you know, grow in the marketplace, we need to have you know hazy beers, or we need to have at least an IPA. Take haze out of it for a second. Like, right. IPA makes money and. I, I think everybody needs to realize that it's the most popular category in craft right now. Uh, right. It's, it's if, if you're a brewery without one, uh, people kind of look at you funny. Um, w- was this born out of looking at a balance sheet? Was this born out of people saying like, hey, man, where's your IPA? Was this born out of something else altogether? Yeah. Um, so a few different things. We uh, Everybody at the brewery drinks IPAs. Yeah. They were just drinking somebody else's IPA. <laughs> so... Um, so I was kind of tired of, you know, I, I don't always want to drink a big Imperial Stout or a really sour beer uh, when I, you know, have, have a nice beer at home. So sure. having something that we can open up all the time is um, was really appealing. Um, the 750 format or 750 milliliter format, big bottle, uh, is losing, has lost, a, you know, quite a bit of steam. Um, so for us, it was, uh, I think, really important to um, expose, or expose ourselves to more... Um, to a wider uh, group of customers by going into the canned IPAs. We're able to reach a lot more people and kind of bring them into the, the brewery family and you know, introduce them to other things along the way. And maybe they can go back to buying 750s at some point. <laughs> um, so I, I, I want to unpack this just a little bit. So sure. Offshoot, when you're saying that everything early on has sort of the Rue uh, name to it and then Offshoot doesn't, yeah. um, h- how do you tie that back to... How do you tie offshoot back to what you're doing 
with yeah. the other with the other two entities. Yeah, we uh, at this point we treat it as a, its own little animal. Um, that's the only thing that really ties it in branding wise is Familiaru. We always Familiaru is somewhere on uh, on the packaging. Usually it's mm-hmm. disguised or you know blended into a background um, on offshoot. And then for Relax, which is our first distributed release, uh, we we put on the side of the can you know brew, brew trimmer friends at the brewery. Okay. Um, so we want people to think of them as different, you know, different attitude, different, you know, different um, philosophies entirely. Um, but want people to also know that you know comes from us. And if you want to buy some more, sure. Here's where you go. Um, you mentioned that you're doing hazy IPA, that you're doing milkshakes, you're doing New England style, whatever uh, you know people want 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 to call it. Yeah. Um, again, I go back to had you started this five years ago or ten years ago you wouldn't have been doing that style. You sort of put your finger on the pulse of, hey, here's what's happening right now uh, with, with that style. Yeah. You obviously must like these beers or at least see potential in them. And I know that there's haters on, you know, and, and proponents uh, on, on both sides of this coin. You're, you, I'm right. imagining you're a proponent because you're, you're making these beers. Yeah. Um, but as somebody who thinks about stylistic uh, uh, heritage and thinks about some of the early, uh, you know, the early uh, where we came from, essentially, in beer, these beers are sort of the antithesis of that. Um, would you make just a, a normal... Sierra Nevada esque pale ale. I mean, can anybody actually do that anymore, or is the new generation of drinkers saying, "No, we we don't want to be able to see through it"? You must yeah. have done some sort of market research into all of this. You guys are fairly smart. Yeah. Well, just as far well as far as being a fan of the style, yeah. I, I definitely am. When I first saw breweries making these these beers, I um, it definitely made me cringe, especially when you see this kind of brownish, greenish tinge to the beer. Mm-hmm. Um, but then as I got to try them, um, as we started making them, um, I don't know. It's not about, well, for me, it's not about what it looks like. It's about how it tastes and the texture. Um, it also kind of harkens back to, you know, the Whip Your Style or the German Hefeweizen style. Like These are also turbid styles. Um, yeah, but there's a difference between a, a proper German Hefeweizen and and the turbidity of of, of, a, of an IPA, of a yeah. New England IPA. No, nah, yeah, definitely have a point there. You know, I mean, haze is, is one thing, and then there's <laughs> sludge on the other. And, and again, right. and, and I agree with you that when I find the ones that I like and, and uh, the, some of the beers that you guys have had, you had... Um, uh, a series that came out, uh, taste that taste, smell that smell. Um, mm-hmm. That was in the uh, from Offshoot, and and I really dug those beers uh, when they came out, oh, cool. and and I thought that they had uh, a lot of the great characteristics to them. Um, Garrett Oliver though said, and this is this is fascinating because you said that you, you're not going to focus on looks too much, but Garrett Oliver has gone on the record and said uh, the New England IPA is the first instagrammable ready beer that people want to take pictures of these uh you know cell phone pictures of these beers that capture all light around them that look like you know yeast slurry in a glass kind of thing and (laughs) and they're guaranteed to get a thousand likes from their friends um um, in the process so on some level the look is so important for these beers but you're saying that that for, for you you're not focusing on that and so i wonder where is there a different way to be thinking about these beers than and can you, I guess, is there a different way to think about these beers? And can we actually remove the visual from them without, you know, having to keep our eyes closed right. throughout an entire drinking session? Yeah, I mean, we've uh, certainly had some clear out on us, and they are very different beers when um, 
when you have the turbidity versus when you don't. Just the the protein content and mm-hmm. the, the mouthfeel is um, remarkably different. Um, one thing I forgot to mention is, uh, so my mother-in-law is like the biggest fan of hazy IPAs. Really? Yeah. Not a beer drinker generally. Um, so I see, I see that's uh, becoming much more mainstream. It's, um, yeah, someone, you know, an American Hefeweizen with a nice um, squeeze of lemon in it would be something that would appeal to her previously. Okay. And now, um, now, you know, she can order a hazy IPA and be happy as a clam. So, Do you get jealous when you go to her house and you see it's a fridge full of treehouse? <laughs> she hasn't gone that far. She's, <laughs> she just has the cases of offshoot that I chop right. off. <laughs> is she trading them online for other cans? It's, uh, is she open to trades? I don't Yeah, probably. <laughs> I'll have to explain that to her, I think. <laughs> I imagine being in your family, though, if, if, if people could find a... And I'm not encouraging people to do this, so don't actually do this. I'm just making a joke. But, like, people could actually really make some fantastic trades off of, uh, off of your family if they wanted to. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> they like the attention, too, I'm sure. Where do you fall on that? Trading? Where do you, yeah. Um, well, I... I've done a lot of trading, so I enjoy being able to have beers that you can't get normally, and mm-hmm. it's a special experience when you, even though, I mean, yeah, it's really fun when you can try something that's generally not available. Not sure why why that's fun, but it is. Um, I imagine you as a brewer, though, could call up another brewer and say, hey, I'd love to try this beer. I don't know if oh, you yeah. necessarily have to be trolling internet forums or, you know. Yeah, yeah. we trade with each other. Right. That's, that's a nice way to go. Um, let's say for the hazier beers... Um, I think the flavor is going to change a lot, you know, especially if you're not able to keep it cold the entire way. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I, I really dislike when people ship growl, uh, crawlers or growlers uh, if they haven't been, you know, purged and um, if they haven't been filled very, very well, which crawlers and growlers generally are not. Right. Um, the beer is yeah. Just even with degrade. the best equipment, it's still not. Right. Yeah. Yeah, beer is going to degrade pretty fast. So, so beers that will hold up well for trades, yeah, awesome, but. When it becomes a shell of itself, and you you start seeing your untapped ratings uh, from people from far away, you know, seeing those two and a half uh, two and a half ratings um, because the beer doesn't taste right because it got shipped incorrectly, or yeah, that's painful. And it is personal for you, though, right? When you when you see these things, because like you, you're not you're not trying. I don't think any brewer is intentionally putting out a two and a half star beer, right? And 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 obviously, online rating should be, should always be taken with a grain of salt. Of, uh, you know, I, I'm always amazed by the people on Untapped, and I've said this on on this show and others as well. Of, um, oh, I'm giving this Kolsch one star because I don't like Kolsch. You know, it didn't have uh, yeah. enough hops, and it's like you like you can't that. like you can't do that like you can't you know but <laughs> but when it's a beer that was designed to be consumed either on your premises or nearby or within two weeks or wherever and then it's showing up on uh, on a rating site uh, three months later halfway across the country if not all the way across the country yeah. um that's 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 got a you gotta you have to take that personally on some level and but it's also out of your control yeah I would say when it when it gets to them and it tastes great, then I'm I'm very happy. <laughs> and when you know when there's a transit related uh, uh, you know cause of making it not taste as good, then that's it's disappointing and but something that's totally out of my control. So don't worry about it. How closely do you pay attention to consumer reviews? Have you guys changed beers in the past? 
uh, to 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 meet consumer expectations or hopes? Or uh, have you noticed uh, even if a beer is the way that you want it to leave the brew house and being tasted the way that you want it to taste mm. uh, and it's not scoring particularly well or not being particularly received. Have, have you guys changed beers in the past or just... Yeah, yeah, definitely. Out of our pilot brew house, we um, probably release three or four, uh, probably three new beers a week in our tasting rooms and kind of gauge feedback. And um, How big is that system? It's a three-barrel okay. system. So having... Being able to see the untap scores is a really, really good metric for us on whether we want to scale up that beer or not. If it gets a four or over, then we know, you know we're on a pretty good track. Um, and then so sometimes we ignore the points or whatever score it's, it's given um, when it's just selling particularly well and you get some passionate customers. We have a beer called Horchata that you know tastes like uh, the Mexican rice drink Horchata mm-hmm. going untapped, and that's you know three point seven or something. Not nothing spectacular, but <laughs> when if you, I look right now, it's probably three point seven. You seem like you're like obsessively looking at these things, like you yeah, actually know. I know it's bad. I shouldn't, um, but I do. Um, so yeah, when you talk to people in our tasting room, they say this is their favorite beer, and they're buying a case of it home, and then they come back the next week and buy some more. Um, that's always a very good sign as well. So mm-hmm. scores aren't everything, and uh, sometimes you, the, the super beer geeks might not might not love it, but um, but there's a large section of beer drinkers who do. Is there a beer that you've made that you've been surprised? And I'll ask this two ways: uh, hasn't scored well or been as well received as you as uh, as hoped, or that you were actually really surprised about that it uh, that it did that exceeded expectations yeah um actually since since we're at saver we're yeah. actually pouring one of those beers uh it's called yant it's a blend of well so we take uh grapes from uh, yantville and napa some cabernet sauvignon we co-fermented that with black tuesday put in french oak barrels uh we serve it still at um kind of wine temperature so mm-hmm. or you know cellar temperature what you serve a nice bottle of red wine at for me it's one of the I think one of the coolest beers we've ever made. Um, and um, some people, we get a lot of neg- negative scores on that one. We get, a, we get more positive. I think it was a 4.2 or yeah, <laughs> a little bit above that. But it's a mix of, mix of like, it's a mix of fives and it's a mix of like Every three, time you're quoting and numbers, Greg Avola is standing up and just cheering right now. <laughs> yeah. From untapped. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so people aren't, even though you think something's wonderful and um, you know uh, a gift to the world, uh, not everybody sees it that way. And sometimes people just want beer; they don't want things that you know that uh, almost aren't beer but are. Does that makes sense. Well, this it, and it does make sense. But this is the interesting thing: is that we we're we're getting so I think far removed from those original styles that we were talking about at the beginning of the show of yeah. uh, the, just the standard base styles of porter stout, pale ale, even IPA, um, as as well. That a lot of the beers that are being made these days and being produced, you you, you don't always taste the beer. You don't always right. taste you know the 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 core ingredients, and I think that. With the majority of your beers, at least, um, you can still tell that it's beer. You can still tell that it that it falls into in, into that family. Is is that important to you, or is it okay that we're sort of off into this new stratosphere of of, of taste and, and boundary pushing and, and and flavor pushing? 
Yeah, I think, well, I think there's a place for both. Um, I think it's really exciting when you can get a, a really high-quality beer to, ta- to not taste like beer. Mm-hmm. Um, it really annoys me when beers become similar, more close to a wine cooler or, you know, there's uh, chemical flavorings. Uh, you know, we're going into, into more into soft drink land than we are into um, a high-end product. Um, so we always try to, we want to, we want to blur those lines, but we always want to keep it as high quality as possible and be kind of more of a culinary experience than a, you know, oh, wow, this tastes like Jolly Ranchers. So when you're saying high quality and you're saying culinary, you guys actually use the real ingredients, right? Right. That's a, it, that's gotta be a conscious decision, right? I, Cause it doesn't always make financial sense. Uh, so, right. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting when you try, you know, say, let's try 10 different coconut stouts. Uh, you know, many of them are going to be um, using a, a flavor extract. And a lot of consumers don't know that. You know, they assume that if it says it's a coconut stout, then it's coconut stout. Um, but when, you, when you've used, when you've uh, smelled those extracts uh, and you notice the chemical aspect and you can you can taste that in those beers where a lot of people just don't don't quite notice. Well, it's it's a, a coconut's an interesting thing, right? Because everybody thinks that coconut should actually taste like like a Mounds Bar or an Almond Joy, right. um, and that's just not the case. Like yeah. it, it's so different. It's the same thing with watermelon. There's so many watermelon wheats that are out there, and all these other beers as well, and they taste like a watermelon Jolly Rancher, uh, exactly. you know, and that. That's not what real watermelon, even the most flavorful, juicy thing. It's strawberries and, and, and all of these other things as, as, as well. Um, how, does, how do your beers then, or, or how do you feel, I guess let me phrase it this way. When it comes to using real ingredients and to doing things in a, in a, in a culinary way, how does that help a beer stand out among the others? Yeah, it doesn't always, which is unfortunate. Um, I think for us, it's about integrity. It's about, I guess, a purity of flavor. And sometimes you can't achieve that over-the-top flavor that you might want. Uh, you know, going back to coconut and, yeah. lawn, and mounds bars. Um, but you know, you know that you've done it the right way. That it tastes, um, it tastes natural. Like you know, there's some flavors just you can't you can't get through natural means. Um, but I think you got the best, best and purest flavors through natural means. Talk to me just a little bit more about that, though, because it, it, does it take convincing to the public saying, like, yeah, this is coconut, and people are saying, yeah, but it's not coconutty enough, or, you know, this isn't, you know, cinnamony enough, or, you know, whatever right. whatever it is that, that, that you're putting in there, because, because I think that we're so used to... Uh, as a general populace used to extreme flavors or things to taste like what we think they should taste like as opposed to what they actually taste like. Yeah. We don't advertise it very well. I okay. Think. Um, yeah, <laughs> it would be much, it, it would be a, probably a good thing for us to say, you know, here's what a lot of brewers do and here's what we do, but putting down other, other, well, I guess I'm doing it on your podcast, but <laughs> putting yeah, but down, nobody listens to this, so it's fine. <laughs> putting down other, uh, others to, you know, boost yourself up is something that I don't like doing. Um, <coughs> but yeah, I guess educating the customer on what, how exactly we made this beer is something we like doing and we don't necessarily have to bring other, other, uh, other people into it, but sometimes the customer doesn't realize that this is the way you do it versus this is the way that other people might do it. It helps you sleep well at night, though. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, so we're at this interesting point in craft beer these days where uh, people are talking about uh, independence and people are talking about, uh, you know, a seal and, and, and they're talking about uh, uh, knowing where their beer comes from. And, and you've been big on talking about uh, the family rue in, 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 in the business for a while. Yeah. Uh, last year, 2017, you guys sold a majority stake to a private equity firm, um, which is not you know, the, the, not the same as selling to an Anheuser-Busch or a Miller Coors or, or all of that. Right. Um, but I also think that people are often confused about uh, ownership in general. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm curious um, to hear your thoughts as to why that sale made sense or why that transaction made sense um, and what that actually means for the future of beer in general, both, both for, for, for the company that you founded and now CEO of, but uh, what it means going forward to beer. Should ownership, should ownership matter? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a tricky. tricky yeah, no, area. I know it is. And that's, we got time. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a fun topic. Um, <laughs> so I, I guess for me personally, it was. Most people just switched <laughs> off. They're like, boring. I want to I hear about Great Wednesday. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess the motivations for why I uh, sold part to a private equity firm. Um, it, you know, the company had grown to a point where very successful. Um, there was opportunity to grow more, uh, but I'd already, you know, put my my house and my family's finances at, at risk for ten years, and figured this is probably a good time to, um, you know, share share that a little bit and, mm -hmm. um, and give opportunities for um, you know for the people who have the employees who have gotten us here. You know, I don't. I don't want to be a stagnant, um, a stagnant place. But I wasn't willing to kind of put any more risk out there. So it's a great way to um, to achieve both of those angles of uh, just financial security and um, still being able to continue to grow. Um, private equity is, um, you know, I would think of it as more of a a sophisticated investor mm -hmm. like you know we we all have to when we start breweries we have to raise money and um you know everybody have, well most people have investors and it could be a rich uncle or it could be you know um you know could be a university or it could be you know there's there's all all different types of uh or sources of money i guess yeah um and th and so. that's the thing it's not necessarily the mom and pop shop that most people think it is there is always or usually somebody who is bankrolling this there, there's right, very few right. uh financially dependent people who are also mashing in every morning yeah no it's true um yeah for myself it, thankfully my family was really behind it and able to get all the money from uh from essentially my parents mm -hmm. um but yeah i would think of private equity as a you know it's a collection of investors who are all putting their money together to you know invest in a bunch of different companies for for growth and it's not that not that different than any other sort of investment i think once you sell to a, a large brewer um you know they they have a strategic angle for your beer that goes beyond just making money uh, off of it that uh, you know it's about placing you know having the shelves sets seem like seem like you're offering choice but really all you see is ab beer yeah that's not i guess we shouldn't mention particular no you can <laughs> i mean that's that that's fine though because i think that 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 is a, a true thing it's it, the sales to or by those larger brewers are strategic 
uh, and whether yeah. or not we've seen what that strategy is uh, fully realized yet. And, and I think that there's people who read the tea leaves and try to figure it out, and we, we still haven't seen the full impact of it um, just yet. But by getting an influx of cash, by getting uh, uh, you know, a deep-pocketed uncle, as it were, uh, in, in, in this whole thing, it does set your brewery up for the next phase, right? Yeah, yeah. Once you once you go into partnership, um, the expectation is you grow. So, <laughs> and you have. I mean, yeah. the, the 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 brewery's grown. Uh, we're here in D.C. Uh, it's worth pointing out that um, when a few years ago everybody was looking to grow uh, their businesses, a lot of West Coast breweries actually came to the East Coast. But uh, they set up, uh, they poured concrete, and they they laid down stainless, and they. Uh, uh, opened up a second brewery, and in some cases it's worked out really well, like Sierra Nevada. In other cases, it's stalled, like Deschutes and Roanoke. Uh, in the most extreme cases, we've seen Green Flash um, uh, uh, losing their brewery, uh, selling to Mitch Steele and his group with New Realm. Um, you guys came east, uh, but you just opened up a storefront. Yeah, yeah. We- and I don't mean that in a dismissive way, but <laughs> it, it it's such a, a a simple idea that it's like, oh. How come more people haven't done this? Um, yeah. So, one, how did it come together? And two, how's it playing out? Like, what's its purpose? Yeah. Um, so, we, so we did it because uh, we have a good following on the East Coast. This um, it's DC, Maryland, Virginia market mm-hmm. is um, our second best market outside of California. And um, we had the, we, you know, we're able to find a legal way of doing this with mm-hmm. mo- when you with most states uh, you have pretty pretty good separation between a manufacturer a distributor and a retailer and uh, at this particular spot that we have in DC we're kind of blending all three of those together well it's a um, lawless area yeah. yeah it's pretty unusual uh, so yeah we're able to you know the big part is getting the members that we have out here keeping mm-hmm. them and keeping them happy and growing that membership base so essentially we make a lot you know we make say five different beers a month that we uh, release primarily to our members and this is a way for us to legally get this get that out here um now at the same time um just build our um develop more recognition for our brand in general when you're talking about, and you can learn more about the, the, the shop uh, through the website as well, and it has yeah. all the, the, the particulars on there. But I, I, I want to get into membership a little bit um, uh, before we start to wrap up here, because I am really curious as to if you guys are doing five different beers a month, if you guys are, um, you're really sort of feeding a machine at this point. You're feeding a beast uh, at, at this point. Um, and, and if you're in it, it's, 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 it's worth the money. Um, you know, I've been the recipient of uh, a, a lot of those beers, uh, thanks to generous friends uh, who, you know, have deep pockets. Um, from your end of things, is it stressful to, to keep that momentum going? Um, is it exciting yeah. to keep it going? Is it... it? Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's balancing, like... So, you know, you've never been a member before, but you know you want, you know, um, Grey Monday. You know, yeah. you, want, you know, you want these beers that have been released in the past. Uh, so it's about 
Um, that was nice to correct me, by the way. Thank you. Cool. <laughs> it's about giving them what they want, being a first-time member versus someone who's been a member for eight years, mm-hmm. and they've seen eight different releases of a beer like Chocolate Rain. Uh, do they really want that again? I don't know. So having to constantly innovate and uh, do some new things, uh, which we personally love. Um, so it, for me, it's hard to um, kind of balance releasing things that have worked well in the past versus let's create something new that, um, you know, our customers may or may not love. What's the innovation process like at the brewery? So it starts, well, starts with a bunch of random ideas and then uh, choose, choose the good ones or what we think are good ones. We brew it on the three barrel pilot system. We'll taste it internally, see if it's good enough to put on the tap room. If it is, then we'll put it up in the tap room, uh, usually under some random name and, uh, we don't develop any of the branding at that, at that point. Yeah. Kind of gauge our customer's reaction and uh, and go from there. And you know, slot it into uh, whenever whenever we want to release it. And a lot of our stuff's barrel aged, so we'll, you know, brew it and release it generally 12 months to 16 months after that. I want to figure out where to go here because there's... Has there been beers that you guys have, have, have bet around that you've talked about that were just not ready for prime time that you saw, oh, man, there's there's a nugget in here and we just don't know what it is, so let's put a pen in it for now. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you come back to it and it's still not ready or it's still not fully conceptualized. And then, you know, has there been a beer that has been an exceptionally slow burn? Boy, that's a good question. Yes, I know there's a lot of uh, random projects that we have hanging out in barrels. Yeah. We, um, we made them without any real idea of what we were going to do with them. Um, so those are always challenging. Like, whatever that great idea was a year ago, is that still a good idea now? And we got to figure out what to do with this. Because <laughs> so, yeah. you get to a certain point, right, where the beer's either going to be ready or it's not. Right. And then... How have you developed a? I've talked to other folks who who manage barrels, who uh, because a lot of it is uncharted territory, especially if you're using uh, fresh ingredients or you're using different ingredients or you're trying different things. Um, It's it's this sort of oh now I know it's ready, as opposed to six weeks ago it wasn't, or you know uh, I don't think it's going to be better six weeks from now. Right. How have you developed that sense? How 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 have you had that? Like how, how. I don't even know if it's something that everybody can do or is yeah. it? So we, well, so we try to follow a calendar. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll, we'll put something into a barrel and then we'll assume that we've given enough time um, that when we go to taste those barrels that they'll be as we want them to be. Mm-hmm. When they aren't, uh, we'll have to make the decision of whether we, you know, kick that, kick that release down the road um, or whether we move ahead with it and, yeah, you know, usually if it's if it's not ready, we'll we're not going to move ahead. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's always good to have have something uh, a backup. Yeah, you know, I love being uh, three or four uh, beers ahead. So uh, if this one doesn't work out, I have something else that I can swap in. Um. Yeah, I think that's the best way. And big thing is uh, for our sour program over at Brewery Teru. Um, a lot of a lot of these beers take a long time in the bottle. So they'll taste great coming out of the barrel. Um, put them in a new bottle. A week later, they develop you know a huge amount of diacetyl, mm-hmm. this buttery sort of flavor, and yeah. um, you know sometimes it takes six months to go away. 
So you have to you have to be patient, and um, it's hard to it's hard to achieve your goals sometimes uh, when <laughs> when you have to keep that in mind. But it's it's really important. And you mentioned that when you put some of these beers out, uh, you're not putting them out under the, what will be their final name uh, as yeah. well. Uh, you guys have some, some pretty standout names uh, for, for your beers. Uh, do you guys just have a list going? Is it, uh, does each one get new consideration or is it just, uh, you know, hey, this kind of feels like this, this thing we've had on the posted up on the wall for, for a little while. Let's pull that one down. <laughs> yeah. No, we don't have a good way of naming beers. It's, um, it's always... There's always a lot of opinions. And yeah. <laughs> Do you uh, have final say? Um, usually, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if um, usually I have final say as long as people like it. If people don't like it, I can, I can see the looks on their face. And if, if I'm in a room with five people and I'm the only one who likes it, then I think I'm the wrong person. Yeah, then, yeah, I'll, I'll listen. Okay. <laughs> Try to, anyway. Um, Chocolate Rain, was that born off of the the internet video yeah <laughs> it's probably been more lasting your beer has been more lasting than that guy's career i know it's well yeah big fan of that song if he's listening well sure but well of course it's uh, he's live at the brewery whenever uh, whenever he's in town i'm sure but right. I, when you look at something like that where you grabbed what was happening in the moment uh and and threw it on a beer name do, do you look back on it now and be like oh man <laughs> that was just silly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Totally. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't even know. A lot of people are drinking chocolate rain today. Don't even, aren't even aware of that video. So if, if you are one of those people, uh, go to your YouTube and uh, type in chocolate rain and you're not going to get Patrick Spear. Uh, you're going to get a, a guy singing into a microphone and it's, uh, <laughs> uh, it was an early viral, uh, viral video. Yeah. yeah. We were, uh, yeah, that, that came up cause we're, we had made, chocolate rain we made that beer it was just in a, a cask for our black tuesday release mm-hmm. and um, we were hanging out at steph ferrari uh she was our um kind of lead bartender i think she's lives in your neck of the woods these mm-hmm. days um and uh, yeah our tasting room manager anyway um she's like oh you have to watch this chocolate rain video and i just started busting up and Okay, we needed to name a beer that. Okay, we yeah, we we did put chocolate in that beer. Okay. So there it that's is. That's the name. And that's just that's the way that it came about. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's uh it's it's a lot of fun. Nothing genius about it. <laughs> <laughs> Except that guy's performance. Exactly. Um as we start to wrap up here, I, I I've been curious about asking folks because we're in such a fun time for beer, but it's also such a, a, a crazy time for beer as well, with, with so much happening yeah. uh, on, on every level of the industry. Um, what's your hope for beer right now? My hope for beer? That's a really good question. Yeah, it's there, there's too much, there's a lot of noise out there, and it's hard to know what's going on. I, I used to know, I used to, like, we pretty, pretty much know uh, every brewery that was in the U.S., and now, like, if I recognize a brewery, it's like, oh, wow, good. Yeah, I'm staying on top of it. Um, I guess my hope for beer is that um, that we have more, well, so I really like how beer is becoming localized, and um, I think that's important. So, you know, every every area has its own, you know, regional differences, and it makes it fun and exciting to travel and explore new beers yeah so i hope i hope a lot of breweries can keep a very regional focus and make um make their neighborhood and their state their city whatever uh special uh because of it and not not all become into national players um i think 
we've done that. Uh, we, yeah, we could contribute to that as well. I think, being in uh, thirty states that we are. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that, I hope people continue to innovate, but also uh, be respectful to um, the tradition of beer and you know know your beer styles before you screw them up. That's <laughs> wise words. Patrick Rue, the founder, the CEO of the brewery, Brewery to Rue. Yep, Am I getting it. it right now? Okay. Yep. And the Offshoot Beer Company, all out in California with a location here in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Uh, you can learn more about Patrick's beers. Uh, you can read reviews from our expert panel at Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine by going to our website, beerandbrewing.com. There you can also subscribe to the magazine. If you have questions for me, guests you'd like to hear, or topics you'd like addressed, you can reach out to me at John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L, at beerandbrewing.com, or follow along the conversation on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Patrick, thanks again for doing this. Thanks, John. It was fun. Yeah, thanks so much. And uh, people are out your way. They should definitely stop in and and drink some beer. Yeah, definitely. And until then, we will be back next week with an all-new episode. Thanks so much for listening. Cheers. River Drive Cooperage sources unique barrels from around the world. Working with select suppliers and their own cooperage, they ensure quality, consistency, and control over your barrel program. Custom Oak Alternatives, Barrel Aging Consulting, and Cooperage Education are just a few more one-of-a-kind services they're proud to provide. River Drive Cooperage, not just a barrel company. Browse their online warehouse at BarrelsDirect.com and use the coupon code PODCAST10, that's PODCAST with a number 10, to get 10% off your next order. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrewing.